Hello, and welcome to the D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today on the pod, we're publishing the conversation that represents the most revenue we had on stage at one time at C-Suite Las Vegas. You're about to hear Tapcart's JJ Workman, a seasoned veteran of hypergrowth marketing, leading a wide-ranging and completely frank discussion about traction, scale, and distribution with True Classic President Ben Yahalom and Ron Shaw from Obby the two brands who've scaled to nine and eight figures respectively faster than any others that I've seen. While this Tapcart-led conversation definitely covers best practices for mobile apps, it's also a wide-ranging and very well-hosted conversation between some of the best and brightest D2C lights out there. What else would you expect on the D2C podcast? And if you love this content and you want the rest of the C-suite Las Vegas experience, you want all 12 game-changing talks about meta ads, funnels, AI workshops, organic YouTube and TikTok, email marketing, and lots more, you can just go to directtoconsumer.co, hit events, and then you can own all presentations for just $1.99. What a great deal. Let's go. On with the show. If you wake up in the morning, you have an alarm clock, that's an app. You then look at your day, which is probably on a calendar, which is an app. You then probably order food on DoorDash, which is an app. You then go home by calling your Uber or opening your Tesla, which is an app, right? Yet, when it comes to getting your customers back to buying, we tell them to go to a website. There's a, a really strong cohort of customers we have. We have like 3% of our customer base that drives 8% of our total revenue just from the app. And it's because these people just want it super easy. So that addition to our tech stack has been pretty incredible. And no matter what size brand you are, um, just make it easy for, even if it's a small amount of customers, make it easy for them. Thanks for having us. I uh, really appreciate it, Eric. Uh, thank you, Ben, for joining us. Thank you, Ron, for joining us. Uh, excited to lean in here uh, and have a great conversation. Um, to, to kick things off, I just wanted to talk about, from a founder's perspective, like beginning with the end in mind, where are you trying to go with your brands? Like, Ben, as you think about uh, joining True Classic, uh, where you joined the company, what's your vision for where you wanted it to go? We'll throw the same question to, to Ron for you uh, around Obvi. And um, yeah, I guess, Ben, first of all, for you, like when you joined True Classic, like what did winning by design look like for you? What was the end game? Yeah, so I think it always starts with defining a real clear purpose. And for us, the purpose is that we want to empower everybody to look good and feel good. So it's pretty simple, but that's what we believe we're all about, right? So we sell clothes. We start with this T-shirt that I'm wearing, right? And we have expanded across a lot of different product categories. We started in the U.S. and we expand now into 192 markets. We started just on a website and expanded across different channels like the app, like Amazon, like retail. But ultimately, that purpose is the North Star, right? So all of that expansion, whether it's products, markets, channels, is to empower everybody to look good and feel good. What it means, though, from a tactical perspective is that we start thinking about the business and what it needs to look like in order to enable that. I heard a few comments earlier around the P&L and profitability, and I can't stress enough how important that is. So we look at it and say, look, at, at best, we want to we grow really, really fast, and we have been able to grow very, very fast. So at best, you may be able to break, be able to kind of like break even right, on your customer acquisition efforts. Most of us tend to invest. And so it really underscores the importance of uh, retention and ensuring that those 
customers who we view as an asset, once you brought them in, you're able to monetize them at a, at a good enough uh, way to sustain your business and, and kind of like remain profitable. And then if we think about this environment, if you think about designing with the end in mind, I'm sure that most of the founders here or, or, or operators, right, have that exit in mind, right, financially speaking. And we live in a world where everybody and everything is, is EBITDA-based, right? Those days of just show me top line growth are, I don't know, I don't know about over, but they're not here for now, at least. And so if you really think about that, EBITDA for us is coming from repeat and retention. And so we think about, about those customers. I know we're going to talk about the app, but it's one of the tools we use to really engage with them and make sure that they have a great experience coming back to us. What do you think, Ron? Yeah, I mean, well said. Um, so for us, it was pretty much along the same lines for us. What we set out to do was the, the world of health and wellness is a little bit saturated. There's really no barrier to entry to create a health and wellness brand. Literally anyone in this room can go and create one in about four weeks uh, just through white-labeled products and creating a website on Shopify. So what we had to do was, uh, first of all, we had to be disruptive. So our play on it was we wanted to sell women's collagen but be disruptive doing it. Um, but the reason we stuck to collagen was there's enough whey protein brands out there. There's enough pre-workout brands. Um, so we were like, okay, well, let's look into Nutra Cosmetic, which is getting cosmetic benefits through nutrition. What's the product that's doing well there? And it was collagen. And when we studied collagen, obviously you have brands like Vital Proteins, which exited to Nestle, Orgain, and then some of these other exits that have been great. Um, we were basically looking at it and saying, how can we be disruptive here? Um, with our end goal being, we want to exit to a strategic two. Our end goal, our end strategic, hopefully nobody else exits to them before that, but as Unilever, like from day one, it was like, all right, that's going to be our buyer, right? How do we work backwards from there? What do they need, right? And, and, and why is it Unilever? It's because Nestle has bought Vital Proteins or Gain's gone to another one. And so Unilever is going to be on the market and they're going to be looking. So you got to build a brand that can be exited to them. So now from there, we said, all right, we figured out what product we can create how are we going to be disruptive, which is we're going to create flavored collagen for women, and we're going to make sure it tastes really good. And then from there, we're going to work backwards to making sure that numerically our business is built so that we can sell to a strategic. And I think, like Ben mentioned, um, retention, which was before I think the narrative was it's expected and, and it's, just, it's just earned and you're just supposed to get it to now like we need to focus on this. And uh, it's, it's really the, the only thing that is probably talked about consistently daily um, in every meeting, in every topic, in every conference. Um, so it, it's nothing to kind of put to the side. And I think that's how we're looking at it. I, and I think that everyone's motivation is a little bit different, you know, lifestyle business versus um, exit on a variety of different scales. Um, you had mentioned um, earlier run in our conversation that you had this goal uh, for an exit on, on your side. And one of the questions that I posed was, how do you feel good versus great retention impacts your valuation? Like how, how are you thinking about retention as a part of your exit? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think for us, we're always doing, we're, we're kind of doing this thing where like, we're always kind of trying to play and be in the market. So always talking to like investors, always talking to VC funds, private equity, whatever. Um, honestly, sometimes it's just for us to go and kind of poke and see what's out there, what's the market like, just put out some feelers. One of the things I'll, I will say that at least for our market and from my conversations that's shifted, I don't know if you, you agree, Ben, but um, 
there used to be like this like top five things that's important, right? And it used to be like year over year growth, number one, and then you had top line revenue being number two. Um, and then you had, you know, product market fit and a few other things. And then retention and stickiness and CAC to LTV was kind of on four or five or maybe not even in the top five list. Now, the first thing that I, I the first question I get, even whether it's from an analyst on at a VC fund or, or up to the partner level, um, the first question they ask is, so what's your repeat purchase? Um, what's your CAC to LTV? How sticky is your product? Why aren't people coming back? What SKUs are they coming back for? What are you doing to make sure that the other SKUs that people aren't coming back for, how are you rationalizing to even keep those SKUs? And it's crazy because these conversations have shifted towards that. And I think it's all come in the last 12 to 18 months for us. But um, I don't know, it's, it's what we're seeing. Yeah, 100%. So for us, that this is what I call the, the company scorecard, is this LTV to, to CAC ratio, right? And for us, we define LTV as a cumulative gross profit over time per customer. So technically, if you account for CAC against that initial order, you can basically have one curve, which is your average customer, cumulative gross profit from moment zero, initial order, and you can look at it monthly, quarterly, or whatnot. And so when we talk about it internally, I keep reminding everybody that this is the curve. And collectively, do we all understand what part we are playing in bending this curve and in raising this curve, right? So it's not just a marketing thing. It's really the entire company's scorecard. Because to your point, the result might be that the product wasn't so great. And in our case, maybe we didn't nail the fit. So what do we do to fix that? Or the result can be that someone had a poor experience with our customer service team and they're not coming back. Or maybe our email uh, team went wrong and uh, spammed too many people and now we're not inboxing at the same rate. Or literally, there can be so many different reasons. But what's important for us as a team is to understand what, how everybody can impact that one company scorecard and what can be kind of like done around that. And I do very much believe that in this day and age, it's perhaps easier to find scale because of paid. If you know how to do paid really well, you can scale and you can scale really fast. We were able to grow into nine figures in two years, completely bootstrapped and profitably, which is insane. And if I were to tell you one thing that we know how to do really, really well at True Classic is how to run ads. But if you don't know how, what to do with those customers after you, they came into your company, then what's the point of acquiring those assets to begin with? And so... It's really the name of the game. And that's what makes great companies from just okay companies. And I speak frequently with investment bankers and uh, PE firms and others. And this is absolutely the top of the list. And we constantly compare ourselves against uh, what's out there, primarily public companies, but also some private deals whenever we can get a chance to see how uh, our cohorts analysis compare and contrast. I think that everybody's on their own journey, right? We've probably got six-figure brands in the room to nine-figure brands in the room. And I think the way that we think about operationalizing and retention is around a lot of shared first principles, but it does look different um, at different levels of scale. Um, what, what are your, I guess, pieces of advice, Ron, to early-stage founders, mid-stage founders, late-stage founders on how they should be thinking about retention, how they should operationalize that, what the pieces are, maybe what the different tech stack elements are, what the team looks like, just anything along those lines. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's actually uh, an initiative that was led by Ash, uh, who's our CMO in the back here. Um, and one of the things that um, we started looking into was 
we, uh, he actually created an Excel sheet that took every single review that we've ever had um, on Amazon, our website, et cetera. Um, he then put the SKU, whatever SKU that product was. Um, and then we also looked at purchasing behavior for each SKU, right? What we realized was when you look at just Shopify analytics, you see a percentage like 20, 25, 30, and you may get a dopamine hit or you may be kind of like, oh, damn, today's low. But you don't really understand what retention is until you actually go down to the SKU level. So one of the things we did, um, uh, we're actually working with Benson here, but um, one of the things we did here was we actually started doing retention by SKU. So down to like every, like our top five sellers have completely different post-purchase flows, um, which is I think really, really helpful uh, because now we're able to tailor people's responses to like, you know, getting ahead of like, hey, here's, a, here's maybe something like negative that could come up. Um, and getting ahead of that. And so one thing I will say is, is don't just expect retention to come on a brand level by just sending out a campaign. Um, try to go more to the flow level because now personalization um, is something that people want and they crave it because a lot of brands are doing it. Just a little piece on the tech stack. And um, so I think traditionally speaking, obviously email SMS is synonymous to what retention has been. And it's been two really powerful channels, I'm sure, for every single person in this room. I think for us, uh, a really cool addition to that stack and, and part of our, our formulation of retention has been the app. Um, when we started working with Tapcart, one of the cool things that we started noticing was there are customers who literally know they want to buy Obvi and they just want to make it super easy. Right. One thing I always say about, about apps, if you wake up in the morning, you have an alarm clock, that's an app. You then look at your day, which is probably on a calendar, which is an app. You then probably order food on DoorDash, which is an app. You then go home by calling your Uber or opening your Tesla, which is an app. Right. Yet, when it comes to getting your customers back to buying, we tell them to go to a website. Right. And it seems kind of like funky, right, because everything's on a phone. And so there, there's a, a really strong cohort of customers we have. Um, and it's a, I think it's a pretty cool stat. I think it's something like we have like 3% of our customer base that drives 8% of our total revenue just from the app. Um, and it's because these people just want it super easy. So that addition to our tech stack has been pretty incredible. And no matter what size brand you are, um, just make it easy for, even if it's a small amount of customers, make it easy for them. I'll throw the same question to you, Ben. Obviously, you guys have scaled up. You know, crazy fast, but what has the journey looked like in operationalizing retention? How has the team evolved? What was the the tech in the beginning? Just can you can you walk us through the journey of um, what that's looked like and where your focus is? Yeah, for sure. I think that uh, great points. By the way, and again, couldn't agree more. Going back to the scorecard idea, the nice thing about cohort analysis, if you're familiar with it, is that you can cut and slice and dice and whatever by basically any variable of interest, right? So you can start looking at by SKU or by product category. You can say low AOV, mid AOV, high AOV. You can say came from this channel, from that channel, came on the app, came on the website, came on whatever. Like literally any variable of interest. And we really try to answer our questions ultimately with can we prove on the cohorts analysis that doing X, Y, and Z yields better cohorts, right? Because if you think about that blended curve, well, it's a mix of a bunch of individual cohorts and a mix of a bunch of other variables. And ultimately, in order to drive something, you need to understand what drives it. And so we do a lot of those types of things. And uh, even down to like, you know, email and SMS, and I know I kind of briefly shared it with you, um, my team sometimes will come forward and say like, you know, we drove this much revenue. 
and it will be based on whatever Klaviyo shows, right? And I would actually ask some deep analytical questions, right? Like, how confident are you that this is actually the revenue figure? And so even if you do something as simple as like understanding your email and SMS program in the shape of, you, you know your customers, you know who of those you don't have marketability to, you know those who you do have on email, you know those who you do have on SMS, and you know the ones you have on both, just look at them for a second and see like, do I see a, a meaningful lift in the average fill in the blank, revenue per customer, gross profit per customer, frequency of purchase, whatever the interest is, by introducing something, right? So in the app example, uh, we see about, I think, 26 or so percent lift on app versus regular web users, which is obviously very healthy. There is a little bit of an element of, you know, those are probably our best customers to begin with, and they're joining the app because to Ron's point, they want a, an easier, more seamless experience, and our app is definitely better than the website when it comes to ease. Um, but like, it still shows you that something here is working, right? Like, it's still positively driving what you care about, which is those revenue payer and, and gross profit per customer, order, product, you name it. Um, so we did basically take this approach. I hired a VP of customer monetization. We have a team in-house. We also work with agencies. Um, and we think about it as, like again, everything that we do as a company impacts retention. It's not just the marketing team's work. Literally everything we do. It can be our supply chain person. If she worked with the right factory, it's going to come great. If we change the factory and it failed, it can really impact everything else we do, right? Like literally anything we do has to do with retention. And then we think about the most impactful lever. So just to repeat, it's trying to open as many one-on-one channels you can. So you have email, you have SMS. We also found success with like web notifications. You have an app with push notifications. We, you can think about things like a paid membership or subscriptions, which I know you guys are big on. Um, we now are testing with like other messaging uh, applications. So like we just enable WhatsApp. We're trying to open up uh, iMessage with kind of like business communication one-to-one. -one. Basically, anything we can do to talk to that customer in whatever way that they want helps because it creates this one-on-one -on -one engagement. And that word here, uh, run mentioned is really big. It's ultimately all around personalization, customization, and it's such a journey to get there, right? Nowadays, you have AI, which is really exciting. Still, I think in its infancy and on where it's going. But ultimately, how you win is by reaching the right customer with the right product, with the right offer, on the right channel, at the right time, and so many things right. How you get there, though, is a bunch of optimizations. Um, can't stress enough the importance of analytics. I know someone here mentioned the team on, uh, of analytics, and uh, it's really, like for us, like there is strategy and execution. Strategy is analytics and measurement. Execution is all creativity and kind of like thinking outside the box, and those are the two main levers, so retention is no different trying to really understand with analytics and then trying to execute as creatively as possible, not just with creative, like our ads, which are awesome, by the way, I think, um, but like just offering things that are really unique and different and really trying to kind of like surprise and delight our customers. I think that Nick made a great point this morning leaning into the, the Pareto principle, and I think that that really is the thesis of uh, app as a channel in a lot of ways. Obviously, not everybody is going to download an app uh, you're you're going to end up with some sample bias there because you're predisposed to get your most loyal fans. How do you guys think about segmentation, focusing on VIPs, focusing on that that top tier segment, and and going from good to great relative to you know average to good in other areas? Just like how do you, how do you think about catering toward your top segment versus the masses? 
Yeah, I think um, kind of actually going off of Ben's last point of trying to get any communication point and every communication point with your customer. Um, so I think there's a reason why in our pop-ups too, right, we collect email. And then many of us have been going to two-step trying to connect phone number two, right? And the reason is, is you want to have multiple ways to communicate with them. Um, I think with app, the way we look at it is, is here's a third way to literally get into one of the most important pieces of everyone's daily life, which is their phone, right? Um, so what we focus on is if we can get, even if it's the same customer that we have an email and SMS for, we want that person's, we want the ability to send a push notification to that person, right? Because it becomes a third format of communication and a third chance to either ask them to convert with us again or ask them to read something that's important or send them material that could be crucial. So we look at it as, a, as, as just collecting more communication points. And then I think what really helps here is, is you can incentivize people differently, right? So we've launched over 24 different collagen flavors um, over these last few years. And um, the way we kind of launch our flavors um, is we'll say it's only available on the app. If you want to sign up, you have to download the app. Um, obviously, staying true to it is important, so we stay true to it. Uh, drives a ton of people to download it because they have some sort of brand affinity to wanting something first. Um, and then from there, they realize the ease of use. Right, so I think um, for with our VIP and super VIP people, um, giving them the ability to get something first is important. Tapcard also has a really good uh, integration with all your rewards and 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 uh, additional programs that you may be using to communicate with your customer base. So it just creates a lot of ease for them. So for us, we're driving tons of downloads and tons of people to get the app because the only way they can really continue on the obvious innovation journey is if you have the app. You have no other way to do it. Um, we even like we'll even post in our community like download the app, and that's the only way you're going to get access to this launch. So we have thousands of customers that sometimes get a product that other customers are like, wait, where was this? Um, and again, educating about the app. And so now we have thousands of people that we have a third point of communication with and a third chance to retain or regain their their business. I guess one of the questions that I often get is around segmentation, exclusion audiences. Like, Ben, how how does your team think about storyboarding that communication? Like, are you excluding SMS subscribers? Are you excluding push subscribers from an SMS campaign? Are you excluding push subscribers from email? Do you have like an and both, more is more, are there different type strategy or are, are you choosing either or? Yeah, that's a really important one. Um, Going back to empathy, if you are the customer, and we all are customers of so many brands, is there anything more annoying to just have a brand bombarding you on every single channel all the time, being tone deaf of like the fact that you're just so annoying, just going to unsubscribe? Probably not too many examples, right? So a lot of what we're trying to do is really get to effective and healthy 101 communication with our customers. And it's not easy because there's a lot of technology uh, involved here. So for example, for a point, aside from the app for a second, uh, we moved from Attentive, our SMS provider, to Klaviyo. And one of the biggest reasons is because we didn't want email and SMS to be disjointed. And we didn't want to be this case where we just keep hitting people as if we don't understand who those people are and our customers getting really upset. If I'm thinking about this like customer funnel, it's almost like if you're dating someone, right? It's like, it, blind date will be like, you know, the anonymous user. They just come to your side, you don't really know what's up, right? And then it's like, oh, you did something right, they give you your email. 
or their email. They get something even better, right? They give you their SMS. Wow, now you're really into one another. He or she download the app, right? And then maybe deeper in the relationship, maybe you engage in a paid membership program, right? And so on and so forth. And we start thinking about like, how can we map this like customer journey to do what basically ultimately our customer wants, right? And how can we help them manage their notifications? So a lot of a lot of cross-channel exclusions. And the one thing that's ultimately the guiding measurement tool on how are we doing this right is this idea of incrementality and holding out people from certain things. So can we hold out a group from people that we send an SMS or the welcome flow or both or whatever it is? So we really try to understand every piece of this puzzle because there are so many pieces and it gets really overwhelming when you start operating at a high scale to manage down to this one-on-one, like is it helping or hurting? And even when you have like unsubscribes, right? How many people here uh, segment their unsubscribes to know who actually unsubscribed? Yeah, so think about even basic stuff like RFM, right? Like, um, and you do segmentation and you realize, well, not all unsubscribes are the same. If your people who are still your prospects and they never bought from you unsubscribe, no big deal. But if you just lost marketability to your top 10% LTV customers, that's painful. That costs you a lot of money, right? So you have to really start thinking about like who are those whales within your audience and how you don't piss them off so they don't leave, right? And like, and it's a journey for us too. I don't want to speak as if we figure it out because we haven't. But we're trying to get as close as possible to really putting a customer in front of us and thinking about who that customer is, how valuable are they to us, can we put it all together so we understand who we're speaking to? Can we kind of like understand what we do and how it drives their behavior or whether they decide to, you know, leave us or whatnot and do a lot of test and learn, a lot of incrementality studies and then try to exclude from people. Like, I don't think there's a point in push and SMS at the same time. It's just annoying. Like, I don't, I don't think that's effective without the kind of like from an hypothesis perspective. So we will try to at least do different times and not like send it all at the same time or something like that. So how does that ultimately work out in the workflow? Um, how, how, do you, how do you operationalize that? Because, Ron, I think that you have a, a similar take. Um, how, how's it like for the operators on your team to manage that day-to-day, week-to-week? Like, how, how do they create that outcome? Yeah, for us, I mean, um, the, the biggest piece is, is each communication point you get with your customer um, becomes a... A, a certain patch of time you can capture their attention, right? So um, if you look at like our points of communication, call it email, SMS, push notification in our community, right? Um, and you look at when come to launch something or a promo or something, we kind of break it up across like call it 24, 36 hours. And pretty much every six to 12 hours, you hit a new point of communication, right? So now even if you're hitting the same person across different things, um, I think there's some rule that you know typically takes people five to six times to see something to buy. Um, retention, it's it's not the same stat, but it, it's also not just one time again, right? So um, we kind of spread it across um, through the different hours, and it gives us an ability to communicate with these consumers across multiple channels. Because you may open your text message right now, but you're probably in a conference and you're not going to buy something right now. But maybe six hours from now, you'll get an email and uh, maybe you'll look into it. But maybe tomorrow morning when you get the push notification, now you've seen it enough. There is a lot of, you know, limited edition type of stuff and limited time and, and, and scarcity that you can use. Um, but our workflow is, is utilizing each point of contact as a amount of time you can capture with your consumer. 
I think that you guys are both like really top-notch operators and there's an opportunity cost to everything, especially your time. Like you, you've got a really intentional take on how you're approaching the year, how you want to grow. Like if you take a walk down memory lane, uh, Ben, I'm curious to get uh, a, a take from you on what the consideration was like around adding the channel um, obviously there's going to be an investment of time. Like you, you have to focus on it. You're also focused on a number of other priorities. Like what was the reason ultimately that you decided to add that to the stack? What was the vision for it at the time that you did? And like, how's it worked out? Yeah. So one of our other core values at True Classic is go fast. And we believe that done is better than perfect. So how we go about things is we look for partners. Uh, when we have a business need or an opportunity, uh, the last thing on my list is to hire someone in-house. The first thing is like, how can I outsource that? Is there a technology? Is there a partner? If not, is there an agency? If not, is there a consultant or a freelancer? Last thing is I'll bring a person in-house for it. Because hiring is slow, it's complex, it doesn't always succeed no matter how good of an interviewer you are or how much screening you put around it. And so in this particular case, we actually didn't hire anybody to be in-house. and. We found a partner like TopCard. The opportunity is there because to Ron's point, consumer behavior is there. And if you are able to offer people something of value that warrants you earning that app spot on their phone, um, you're probably doing something right. And if the kind of like the the lift isn't too significant because you already have a Shopify brand then what is there too much to risk here, right? So we were like basically going for it. Like we go for so many things. It made sense. We believe in expanding channels. We believe that consumer behavior is there. We love free media, in this case, free push notifications. We already have a site. We have a partner that can go and enable that. It just made sense to go and move fast on that. We didn't have anybody in-house. And frankly, like we still, I would say, don't put nearly enough effort into the app because it does make all things considered a relatively smaller percent, still like mid-high single digit of the bigger picture. Um, but what's what's really cool about it is that you can run it without having anybody dedicated to it. And if you don't, then you're perhaps just you know losing money or, or missing an opportunity. And the way we go about things is we, we find opportunities that we believe have merit. We move insanely fast and execute it. Then we measure and then we see if it's successful. So in this case, I know we, we've been talking about like, Probably is it, we are already late to like hiring a person to like do this full time because it's almost like eight figures alone as like a like a standalone business for us and we for now for example like one thing that I'm very excited about with the app is uh, we don't even do any CROs right like CRO tests we don't optimize it we really just take whatever we see on the website and we dump it over to the app it's kind of like an afterthought and. It really shouldn't be, at least not at our scale anymore. So there's something we're looking to put more effort into. Um, but when the, the barrier to entry is pretty low, I just don't see any reason not to execute. I know a lot of people try to convince themselves why to move. We are insanely biased towards action. And that's, what, that's how we win. We just do it and then learn and then move on. Uh, any closing thoughts, Ron, from you? Yeah, I, I think, uh, Ben, well said. Um, I think for us, too, the, the, the way we look at it is, is and I think a challenge every operator and founder in here to do this too is is kind of take a notepad and just write down three reasons why you shouldn't have an app or, or why you wouldn't want a third point of communication with your customer. Um, and if the only reason you have is like price, 
I think I'll attack that first. For us, our ROI was made within the first, I think it was like 45 days um, because of creating, you know, obviously it has to be applicable, but we were able to create tons of downloads because our launches, which are pretty frequent, we're able to drive through the app. Um, the second reason may be, well, I don't have the web development experience to create an app. Um, we actually had literally no one else besides Ashwin um, on it who basically just guided them, but literally Tapcart did it all for us um, in terms of like copy-pasting our website experience into an app. Uh, I think it took less than 10 days. Um, so again, in terms of the experience you need in technological um, bandwidth is not that high. Um, and then maybe your third reason may be like, I, don't just, I just don't think my customers will, will download this. Like, why does my company need an app, right? And I think I'll challenge you there is um, go to Typeform, create a survey, uh, ask your customers a few things. Like if we were to create an app where you can get special discounts, unlock new offerings or, or, or get our new launches, would you download it, right? Ask a few other questions so that it's not just one question, but um, ask them this question. And if 51% of people say yes, you're probably proven to get ROI. So um, again, I always challenge, I think like Ben said, we often look for reasons why not to do something, but we go into things saying we're going to do this, but then we try and write down like, why aren't we going to do this? Um, and if you can't find compelling enough reasons, um, then try it. Yeah, there's a lot of power to default if you really think about it. So be really mindful of what is your default and should it be I have no app or yes app or I do run it this way or run it that way and, and really challenge yourself not to be stuck in the default state just because you don't want to perhaps take another action or take a different route. It's something to be really mindful of because there's just so much gravity there. Thank you both. Uh, thank you all. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.